1: Check it out now. Huh. No doubt now. Huh. Thursday morning, May 2nd, 2019, the Sitting the Book Podcast this is Gil Alexander. You know it's that time of year. The 145th run for the roses, the Kentucky Derby. First leg of the Triple Crown at Churchill Downs this Saturday, 650 P.M. Eastern, 350 P.M. Pacific. We get into it with Marco D'Angelo, our old Megapod friend. Marco doing double duty here on the podcast. Ron Flatter from VSIN will be on the phone as well, as will Peter Fornital, our old daily racing form now doing his own podcast. He will be on the show to break down the derby as well. We'll talk a little Kentucky Oaks in the process, too. Also, throw in at the back end, Al Bernstein. Al Bernstein, Hall of Fame boxing announcer, to talk about the middleweight unification title bout between Canelo Alvarez and Danny Jacobs. That's on the show as well today. Enjoy horse racing and boxing, parting like it's 1978 on today's Beating the Book Back podcast. Back to a
2: numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander, broadcasting live from our v studios in Las Vegas. Back
3: on a numbers game here at V-CIN. Gil V-Sin Alexander, thanks for tuning in. Series XM channel 204. By the way, I should mention, I'm on the Raptors tonight. I didn't make that clear. I'm on the Velociraptors, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, Velociraptors indigenous to the T dot, the six, up there in Toronto. Clearly, no, they they named it after because of the popularity of the movie Jurassic Park at that time. They named their team the Raptors, mm. and now they've got to reconsider that. Like a, more than a quarter century later, they really do. They are reconsidering it uh, because they're like, what you know? And I made the comparison. I was like, it's like if Las Vegas got a team and named their team after a Game of Thrones character, and then like a quarter century from now, they're like, what, what was this? what is this all about all right let's talk the 145th run for the roses and ladies and gentlemen a man who saw the previous 144 each and every one of them uh 144 run for the roses live and in person it's marco d'angelo good morning marco that joke never gets old to you does it <laughs> never never <laughs> not funny for those who've listened to the podcast for many years
4: thanks for being here man no problem just you like, know this is like christmas for me uh, kentucky derby week how many of these do you do today I am nonstop until six o'clock today. I got something
3: going. Yeah. Well, um, we're happy to have you here. Thanks for joining in. And of course, from Louisville, straight live. I believe we have him on. uh, Do we have him on the phone or on Skype? What do we got him on here?
4: Got him on Skype audio.
3: Audio. Okay. Either way on audio. It's our friend, Ron Flatter. Good morning, Ron.
2: Yeah. I didn't want to scare you by having to see me this morning because, uh, you know, I just, I I am not uh, looking, becoming of a video stream the quality of yours, Gil.
3: I. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Appreciate that. Uh, all right. So let me just start here because this is the obvious place to start. Obviously, the morning line favorite was Omaha Beach, 4-1. Yesterday, in, I mean, in listen, in horse racing uh, context, stunning news, scratched when uh, trainer Richard Mandela confirmed to Churchill Downs that uh, Omaha Beach had an entrapped epiglottis. Now, let's not get into the the details of that other than it's a it's a breathing issue and the horse will be fine it's just that the horse is going to be out for two or three weeks so the whole triple crown thing is done for omaha beach but this obviously marco sends things into a completely different spiral than we thought we were completely different animal than we thought we were getting yesterday uh the first question i usually ask on well first of all before i get to that i was thinking this sounds i remember something like this happening and i remember i'll have another in 2012 before the belmont stakes i'll have another who had a shot at the triple crown mm-hmm. it was the day before that i'll have another who had tendonitis
4: couldn't go right they took him out uh and then you know it's that one was a more serious injury where here like you said this is going to be just a 2 to 3 week procedure um it's a simple surgery for him i've had it done to my horses they come back generally good as you know same as they were
3: yeah Um,
4: Sadly, on the timing, though,
3: not for for the owner, obviously, and and that team of Omaha Beach. Um, Ron, was there a derby where this happened before, too, where a morning line favorite had to get scratched at the last minute, so to speak?
2: Yeah. I Want Revenge was, a few years ago, was scratched uh, the morning of the race. And so, uh, that was a a prominent one. Jeff Mullins trained that horse. Uh, This has happened three times now to Mike Smith. Uh, It happened five years ago. Uh, with a horse. And then another time back, uh, I think it was 2000 or 2001, he had a horse coming off the training track and uh, he got kicked by the uh, stable pony and knocked him out of the race. So this is the third time it's happened to Mike Smith. And remember, Mike made the decision to take his talents to Omaha beach. So, you know, (laughs) he did without a ride. And it's, I did ask, in fact, Bob Baffert walked by here just minutes ago before we came on. Uh, I did ask uh, Bob yesterday if he considered taking Mike back onto roadster, because that was Mike's plan B or his alternative when he chose Omaha beach. And Bob said, no, he's sticking with Florent Giroux. Uh, I did ask Mike uh, by text, and We were going back and forth and even at a phone conversation last night, uh, if, you know, as a, as an afterthought, I asked him, does anybody going after you maybe to be a substitute writer? And I never heard back from him. So read into that, what you will, you know, he might've had dinner plans too. So that being <laughs> the case, uh, Mike been- Smith being without a ride is certainly significant. And so, uh, there's that to consider. Although I will remind you, Mike is only two for 24 in Kentucky Derbies,
3: uh, but was the board justified last year, correct?
2: Yeah, you know, sometimes the horse matters. Sometimes the horse matters. That's right.
3: Uh, so, Mike Smith without a mount. What a turn of events right. there. So, the question, guys, that I asked to start every one of these, and Marco, you'll remember these from previous uh, shows on the podcast and here at a uh, numbers game at VEASAN Live, is always if I came to you from the future, let's start beyond the Derby first. If I came to you from the future and I said, hey, guys, there was a Triple Crown winner this year, who was that horse?
4: And I'm guessing the answer would have been Omaha Beach if if you had to answer it. If I had to answer it, yes, I would have said Omaha Beach, but I was doing a podcast yesterday, actually, as the news was breaking. And we were actually talking about the triple crown, and I was saying there's not going to be a triple crown winner this year. Even with Omaha yeah, Beach. Even with Omaha Beach. And I thought there was actually value. Yesterday was around town minus five fifty. You could get it on the no. And the reason for that, Gil, is there's not a superstar in this crop very competitive, but more importantly, moving forward to the Preakness, this year more than any other year, there's going to be some really good horses waiting in the second and third leg because a horse like Bourbon War is a very good horse that I feel was better than some of the horses that are in the Derby, but just missed out on the points. Instagram didn't get in, so you have that element that's going to help I think still one of the two legs. I see.
3: And so there and there is no justify in this field, or maybe even better stated, there is no American pharaoh in right. this field uh, that is that dominant. Uh, but if I but if I'm holding you to it and I said, Listen, there was a triple crown winner, which of these horses had the best shot?
4: Um, I, you don't even want to answer it, do you? I, I would go with Roadster. Uh, okay. Oh, wow. This is a horse that, you know, is lightly raced, uh, only has two starts this year. And if you notice, Baffert has three horses this year. Yes, he does. And you remember going into last year's Derby, all of the talk, the question on Justify was, does he have enough of a foundation? And, you know, he didn't race it, too. And we know that no horse had done that since way back when Apollo did it. You know, it seemed like yesterday for me. Everyone you know. loves the Apollo stat, yeah. yeah. And But he, he broke that myth last year well look at his three entries this year they all have two starts where you know generally a lot of trainers like to have the three going into the derby all of his only have two starts this season
3: talking about improbable roadster and game winner uh ron same question for you just sort of a a hypothetical If, if i came to you from the future and there is a triple crown winner what horse would that be
2: Well, I'm going to agree that Roadster is my pick for the Kentucky Derby. So therefore he would be my pick for a triple crown, but I actually think game winner might be better suited in that regard. The only question I have with game winner is whether he has peaked, whether his precocity at age two has been caught up with by the ever-growing three-year-olds that are in the rest of the field. But Roadster, his only real loss was last year in the Del Mar Futurity. He finished third It was discovered he had a throat issue. So while we're talking throat issues, uh, here here was one with Roadster. He had a successful operation on it and has won his two races since, uh, both with Mike Smith. And now you have Florent Sheru aboard. By the way, I'm not sure. I don't want to bury a sub lead that's been going on here. But there's another horse that may have to scratch out of the race. And that is the closer High Call, the number 11 horse uh, trained by Kira McLaughlin. Ah, uh, developed a foot abscess, And if that abscess does not clear up in the next twenty four hours, he will be scratched from the race at nine o'clock eastern time tomorrow morning. So you could have a field of nineteen. And where that is significant for the horses that we've just mentioned, if High call is out, the number eleven horse, and Omaha Beach already out, the horse that will move in and get stuck in the fourteen hole, that spot that is a bottleneck that's just inviting the fifteen and the sixteen to come over and slam into him. Game winner. The horse that would come out of the fifteen hall, his stablemate Roadster. So you think that's gonna throw a little intrigue into the race of high call scratches out?
3: You hmm. bet. Interesting. Uh, so that makes sense. Because I was, you know, the thing I was saying yesterday was I was when Omaha Beach got scratched, that moved Roadster from, from the seventeen. Everybody's saying, Oh, no one's ever won from seventeen to sixteen. I'm like, oh now all of a sudden Roadster can win it. Like so I found that to be. Uh, a, l- a little bit of a, uh, a fake out on, on that stat. Some stats not as uh, meaningful as others, but I like your angle on that run. So
2: yeah, at- and by the way, American Pharaoh drew in, I think there were only uh, 18 in the race when he won in, uh, in 2015, he got scratched inward. And I think he came out of me, may have been in the 17, but he drew inward as a result. So yeah, I think I think that's a bogus stat because let's remember, go back in time in the Kentucky Derby, there weren't always 17 horses in the race. That's, that's just right. a recent uh, that's, that's a right. recent trend
3: absolutely so with omaha beach out of the running so churchill downs uh odds maker mike battaglia revised the morning line game winner now the nine to two favorite for the mile and a quarter race on saturday improbable and roadster uh, installed as the co-second choices at five to one so bafford bob bafford's got the top three choices in what uh, could be a 20 horse field we'll see how it shakes out uh, as we uh, just talked about and at the Westgate uh, game winner is four to one Roadster nine to two and probable five to one. Then you have Maximum Security six to one. Uh, Tacit is eight to one. Code of Honor at ten to one. Rounding out the top six betting choices at Westgate. Before uh, the last thing about Omaha Beach, Marco. For folks who had bets on Omaha Beach, how does this now shake out for them?
4: Well, it depends if it was a pair of mutual. Uh, bet early, uh, they start taking bets early uh, at the Derby and stuff, uh, you'll get those tickets back. But if you bet anything in the future books around town where you had, you're betting, they start these as a two year old, you know, late in a two year old season, they bring out the future book, the first one, and they keep updating it from the prep races, you're screwed. You yeah. Horse didn't make it because that's what you're doing with a future book. You're getting a bigger number to bet the future, hoping that, you know, they start maybe with 100 horses, you know, and they keep whittling the field down a little bit. Uh, you're just, it's a bad break. Yeah. So I, I, lo- I lose my Omaha,
3: future, Omaha Beach Futures play. I did get refunded on a specific Omaha Beach to win the Triple Crown prop, because, you know, I bet that yeah. every year, my old crusade about Triple Crowns. Yeah. Um, and then I will tell you this some, some books in, off, in faraway places, very slow to adjust on the news yesterday so you there was a there was a good 5 to 10 minute period which is an eternity mm-hmm. where you could still make bets on the improbables and the
4: game winners of the world at favorable odds, yeah, and it just shows that uh, you know somebody stoves their their toe <laughs> in an NBA game, and yeah. we know it immediately. Yeah, but in uh, the books react, but horse racing about the same.
3: Ron, how did how did that news come to you yesterday? Because I did a whole show. I was talking about my you know, show that I did with Jay Root. We did a whole Derby show, and I'm Omaha beaching the yeah. way through the show, and then eight minutes later, that whole show was rendered moot at that point.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, something same thing, and I was thinking about that very thing. I was on another, I was on a friend's podcast, and uh, all of a sudden they got done and. And I saw Tim Layden from Sports Illustrated had broken the story, put the news up on Twitter. I immediately I was sending texts and uh, calls out to Mike Smith and to Richard Mandela and to Bob Baffert and was talking to them or at least texting with them. And that was all in about a 10 minute period. Uh, So that was at around, I guess I'm trying to do the math in my head. here, six o'clock last night, our time. Uh, So that was that's how it came down here. Okay. The old-fashioned way by Twitter.
3: <laughs> the old-fashioned way. All right, let's take a break. We're coming back. We're going to bring in Peter Fornital for the Daily Racing Forum. We will get all of your picks. How you're who's who's going to win this, according to you? We already got Ron's pick there moments ago. Uh, we'll talk about that. More importantly, how you're going to bet this entirely? Because I know the creativity, uh, Marco, that you uh, show every year, and uh, and Ron, you as well, always fascinating. The Derby, the 145th run for the roses, the. Most exciting two minutes in sports, right here on A Numbers Game at VEASAN.
2: Now, back to A Numbers Game with your host, Gil Alexander, broadcasting live from our VEASAN studios in Las Vegas.
3: It is A Numbers Game right here at VEASAN, Vegas Stats and Information Network, Series XM Channel 204. It's Gil Alexander. It's Marco D'Angelo. <clears throat> excuse me. It's Ron Flatter, everybody. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the phone from the Daily Racing Forum, it's our old
5: buddy Peter Fornatal. Hello, Peter. Hello, Gil, but I didn't brief you. No, those, those letters are no longer associated with me. I'm of the In the Money Players
6: podcast these days.
3: Like I said, of the In the Money Players podcast these days. Uh, at Looms Boldly, one of the great uh, horse racing calls of all time on Twitter, one of the great Twitter handles ever. Uh, Peter, what's the name of the podcast one more time? In The Money
5: Podcast. You can find the shows wherever you get your shows, iTunes or over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Lots of great Derby content over there.
3: All right. Uh, so, Peter, we we were just doing some preliminary stuff, obviously, on Omaha beaches being scratched uh, yesterday, the, uh, the news coming down and just sort of changing all of this. Uh, and we're at the point where we have you in. We're just going to go on a roundtable here and give picks. Let us start with you. How are you betting the 145th Kentucky Derby?
5: Well the Omaha beach scratch definitely threw me for a tizzy. We had to do a whole emergency podcast about it last night. He was definitely going to be thickly in my plans, but he was not my top pick. So I'm just going to basically give you what I was going to say when Omaha beach was in the race, but just without his name mentioned. And basically now for me, tacitus is the horse that I want the most. One of my friends and frequent guest on the show who makes his own figures had that wood memorial faster than a lot of other figure makers, but it was also the way that the figures were earned. He really showed a lot of toughness, getting knocked all about, having two major spots of trouble, ended up on his talent, getting in a really good spot, and ended up on his class, winning pretty well in the hands of a patient trainer in Bill Mott. I expect him to continue to come on and be spot on for this test. We've said it for years on the show nobody better than bill mott at having a horse with a target and getting them to that target in top form tacitus for me offers a lot of value i imagine a little bit later we'll talk about some betting strategy but for me in terms of top pick it's as simple as tacitus
3: all right so tacitus to win tacitus in the eight hole uh, ten to one on the morning line ron your pick to win i think you already tipped us off
2: yeah roadster's my pick to win but that doesn't mean he's the only horse i'm going to include on top in my tickets I'm going to leave game winner in, but I'm not going to go crazy on that uh, maximum security. I think he's a real value possibility at 10 to one. He fits the uh, pace scenario where he you chase the pace, although there may not be a pace to chase in this race, but I like him out there code of honor. I think uh, the slow pace of the Florida Derby compromised him, if it's a, an honest pace in this race, I think he could surprise a little bit. Uh, and spinoff is a horse that also fills the bill, not only in the and speed points, but also the final fractions theory. We've mentioned this before. Horses that finish their final prep in either 13 seconds or less for the final furlong or 38 seconds or less for the final three furlongs They've won all but uh, two of the last 29 Kentucky Derbies, or all but three, I should say, 26 of 29. And so that's a big dynamic for me. And spinoff is a long shot that fills that bill. And then I'm gonna throw in just to hit the board by my standards, who's been a big buzz horse around here. I think there might be something to that. Master Fencer's the one that's gonna be like, what in the world is he talking about? The horse comes in from Japan, a terrific closer. I think he gets better with distance. Don't think he'll win the race, but if he hits the board, there'll be a huge price on him.
3: Give the yeah. final fractions theory once again, Ron, if you could, and then all the horses that qualify this year?
2: Uh, there's a, it's easier to list the ones that don't, and Jeez. that's one of the problems with the final fractions theory this year. Part of it is the Florida Derby was so slow that almost every horse in that race closed strong. But the final fractions theory is the 26 of the last 29 Kentucky Derby winners did so by either in their last prep, finishing the last furlong in 13 seconds or less, or the last three furlongs in 38 or less. What that does is tell you that they've got energy and speed left at the end of the race as the races get longer. And the Kentucky Derby is longer than they have ever run before.
4: Marco, what you got? What are you doing? Well, I agree with the stuff everybody said. Uh, one problem I have with uh, maximum security, he's undefeated. And we've this is the first time we've had a horse Uh, going into the Derby undefeated that nobody's really, you know, has any hoopla around the horse. And it's because his first start, you could have bought him in a $16,000 claimer. Jeez. Okay. So they didn't realize what they were sitting on. And he raced his first three wins were very easy wins uh, against much less competition in the Florida Derby, which was his first test. And he won easy. I was actually at the Florida Derby uh, in person We were sitting at a big table at the half pole when they put up the 48 and four. I said, if you have a closer, rip your ticket up now because this guy just stole the race. And that's what they did with the slow fractions. He's not going to get that here. There's going to be more speed, plus there's going to be more horses coming at him early. One of the horses that did come at him finished third in the Florida Derby, and Ron mentioned him, and I do like that horse to hit the ticket, is Price's Code of Honor. To make up ground in the Florida Derby with the fractions they had, he ran a big race, and I look for the tables to turn. But the horse I'm going to go to to win the race, I think he's going to get the best trip of all of the horses where he's sitting at, is number five improbable. And the fact that they went from uh, Van Dyke, Last start, they moved off of him and went to Ortiz. Van Dyke is a good up-and-coming jockey. had his best year ever last year, but he's not ready for this stage. This is a huge jockey move. I like it. This is the horse to win. And I got my looking at Lee horse for you, if you remember from a couple. Yes, I do. Finish second, right? Yeah, and that's what made made our ticket with the big long shot, your homework assignment. Go back and re-watch the Bluegrass and only focus in on number eight, win-win-win watch the trip that he got got bumped at the start but more importantly when he was making his big move and that's the problem with closers you run into traffic he ran up on a wall of horses and he ran up on them hard so hard that the jockey literally jerked the horse's head up in the air when he grabbed the reins to slam the brakes got him restarted after losing all momentum and still come on to be second so i think if he get it on his pace look for win 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 on your ticket to uh light help light up the tote board. So so but you you think improbable wins but win 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 gets in there. I, I will have him in there. That's my long shot or I always bet two horses in a Derby because it's such a an inflated uh pull. Uh improbable will be my horse across the board and the long shot will be win win win.
3: Win 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 now in the thirteen hole with the uh, Omaha Beach scratch. Uh Pimentel aboard. Uh so you and now listen, I've first of all you mentioned something there that should be noted, which is we live in an era now where you can actually go to
4: YouTube and watch previous races. Like imagine this 20, 25 years oh. ago. The racing form is still the Bible, but the racing form doesn't show you or tell you everything. And I tell people all the time, it's human nature. When you watch a horse race live, all you're looking at when you're watching that race is the horse you bet. Your horses ride. You got yeah. you know, rose-colored glasses on. Go back and watch the race after with an open eye and watch all of the other horses and see the horses that had troubled trips that's how you get horses at prices uh everybody can read the form and see a horse that's won four in a row it's finding those horses that are improving right but had problems and had a good excuse of why okay
3: so let's get into then specifically i don't maybe don't want to give an entire specifics but your general strategy because all right we know who you who you got winning we know who you got in there but are you Are you exacting? Are you wheeling? What are you doing here?
4: I'm playing exactas and trifectas. And what I like to do on the trifecta is I do what is called a pyramid. I'll put four horses on top in the first slot. So any one of those four can win. I'll put five in the second slot, which would be the same four, and then one new horse. And then I'll put six or seven underneath. Now, in the derby... I might put a couple extra horses on the bottom end of that because we know that something can run third and run a big price. You can invest more money in the Derby because you're going to get a bigger return just because of the inflated prize pool, the purse of all of the, as we like to refer to, dead money. I knew you were going to say, there it is.
3: It's an official Derby show with the dead money. All right, uh, Peter, same question for you then. How are you betting this?
5: I'm really interested in the Oaks Derby double this year. Other Uh years we've talked about the double going from the turf race into the Derby this year. I like the Oaks Derby double because I'm going to take a stand against the big favorite Bella Fina in the Kentucky Oaks. She may prove me wrong, but I haven't loved the recent track work and she did have her lone sort of poor start of her career over the Churchill strip. And there's a couple in there that I like to try to get live to Tacitus and maybe a couple of long shots in the Derby. So the two for me in the Oaks are Floor Delamar, Bob Baffert, the Dolphin trainee. I don't believe we're going to get the giant price that's listed in the USA Morning Line, but this is one who's always meant to have talent, has this test written sort of all over her in terms of her pedigree and everything that was said about her before she even stepped on a race course in the afternoon. The other one I like is Champagne Anyone for Ian Wilkes. Wilkes is known for bringing his horses along slowly. And I think this one just looks to have a really nice setup. I think the pace will be fast. I think champagne, anyone has a chance to get the money in the Yokes. So hopefully one of those two will win and set me up for a really nice ticket to Tacitus. But in a bet like this, if I'm taking on an odds on favorite, I have the opportunity to maybe mix in a few more. And I like a lot of the long shots that were mentioned by the guys, specifically that point about code of honor. He has just really had Not a whole lot go right this year, especially not go right in terms of him to produce a really fast final time. I think he might get okay conditions to really show up with a big effort in the Kentucky Derby. I would want to have some of those doubles to him. I think spinoff is another one who's a very interesting long shot of the Bafferts. I mean, they all make sense. I don't want to bet them all. I might bet a little to game winner just because I think he's suited for the mile and a quarter. But the main play for me is going to be Oaks Derby doubles, Lord Delamar and champagne, anyone to tacitus. And then I'll mix in a little bit of spin off and Code of Honor, and maybe a little game winner in those. But I think that's the pool for me this year.
4: I like it. You have Oaks thoughts, Marco, at all? I haven't broke down my final thought there on the Oaks. Okay.
3: Ron, I may have have (laughs) buried the headline here, Ron, because you're there at Louisville. There's obviously inclement weather expected. At one point, I heard it was 90% chance of precipitation. And the thought was that if Omaha Beach was in this, that that would help that horse more than any other. Is there a horse now that gets help? first of all, what is the forecast? Let's start there. And if it is bad, uh, who does this help?
2: I feel like you should ask Peter because he took the exact horses I was going to name in the Oaks. <laughs> I, was, I <laughs> swear to God. I swear Break to God, I was screaming. It was I well we don't think alike like on the derby but we do on the oaks absolutely and baffer was touting Florida Lamar to be back in December so we'll we'll go from there uh, the weather forecast for tomorrow if you read the national weather service or I should say saturday 70% chance of rain if you read the weather channel 100% chance of rain the question is how much rain and that's going to be the big if we they couldn't even get that right last year on race day the weather forecasters so if it's uh, if it's the steady shower that they are telling us will happen then the track will be Muddy to sloppy. Uh, here's the thing, Gil. And Cl- uh, presuming High Call stays in the race, fifteen of the twenty horses in the Derby field this year have experience on wet tracks, on off tracks. So it's it's not like you can really narrow it down. I think it goes back to either you stay with your best horse, may the best horse win. Or maybe you lean more toward front runners uh, and uh, pace uh, chasers. But then again, that's kind of what the Derby has become. I don't know that you handicap it a lot differently. If Omaha beach were in there. Yeah, absolutely. He'd have been pounded as the favorite, but now he's not. And we go forward with a lot of horses that have been on wet tracks. You
4: agree with that? I agree with that. Uh, as far as the closers go, if it is a really muddy, sloppy, and you know, the mud's getting thrown up generally that doesn't favor the closers because they don't like, like to see that, you know, the mud the thrown in her face as horses on the front end. If it's a hard rain and they're able, you know, to scrape the track some and you're not getting all of that thrown up, then you know, really uh, it doesn't change my handicapping. But you're gonna have to watch that day and see how it is. Where are you watching, by the way? You're here at the South Point again? As we always are. Yes.
3: I will be a biggest biggest derby party in town. I'm I'm hitching onto your wagon and you're gonna tell me how to bet this. <laughs> You're going to listen for a change? Is, is, <laughs> that's right. I won't go rogue on you wow. uh, this time. You hear that, Ron? I'm going to listen yeah. to a change.
2: Oh, man. All right. So <laughs> the,
3: the last thing, and, and we'll get you guys back together before the Belmont, Is particularly if there's a Triple Crown that's uh, still at stake and and sounds like there might not be based on everything I'm hearing. But uh, I usually ask, Felica nailed this a couple years ago uh, with Tappert. I asked before the Derby, uh, the Belmont, which is the longest of the three Triple Crown races. If you're looking at this field, if you're thinking about the horses that might jump in at some point, um, is there a horse that you're thinking about already about for the Belmont come June?
4: Well, people's first thought always is when it's a, a bigger race, longer distance that they're going to look for the stone cold closer. And that's not the case all the time, because usually you get a slower pace in the race because nobody wants to be that first horse that comes up. Uh, but if it is a fast pace and if he doesn't scratch here and everything's okay, high cow is probably one of the best stone cold closers uh, that we have um Country House is a good closer as well. And of course, my horse I gave you is the long shot. Win, win, win is a horse that uh, likes to close. Okay, so you you got Improbable, you got win,
3: win, win in all your bets. That's that's the headline for me I'm you. gonna
4: have all three of Bafford's all horses three. in my combinations, but I, for Price Horses, I will have Tascitus, and I will have Code of Honor included in that that top you know five horses that I'm keying in exactas and tries.
3: Okay. And Peter, you are uh, you're daily doubling with the Oaks. You've stolen Flatter's horses. Uh, you've, <laughs> you've bitten everything he likes. Man. Uh, but you're. But I
5: do you... listen to his show. I could be self-consciously plagiarizing him. This could be a, a George Harrison situation here. I'll throw in a, an old rock and roll reference for Ron, oh. too. Oh,
3: that's okay. That's our demo today. It's horse racing and boxing today, for God's sakes. But you're you're, fix, you're fixated on uh,
5: Tacitus as well. That That's the headline for you. Tacitus, is he's my number one pick with a bullet. You guys talked about derby parties. I won't be able to check out any of the Vegas derby parties this year, but I am throwing one in Manhattan. I know V-CIN has a lot of listeners in the New York area. It's, it, people talk about it all the time. And for those who are listening who are going to be in the area, I'm hosting a derby party, no cover, no minimum, at Treadwell Park West on 42nd street come in always love to hear from people who hear me from my shows or when i'm fortunate enough to be on with ron or on with you Gil. be great to uh, meet some listeners in person on derby day as well
3: and a numbers game broadcast on game plus there in the uh, new york city new jersey area as well bleeding over from ontario uh and peter the name of the podcast one more time i'm
5: the in the money players podcast
3: okay And we'll put this in podcast form on beating the book uh, as well. Ron, you you got Roadster, but your other headline on this is what?
2: Uh, I would say as far as the Belmont is concerned, don't ignore cutting humor, depending on what he does here in the Derby won the Sunland Derby and is a long shot here, but trained by Todd Pletcher, who has been known to use the Derby as a bell, prep for the Belmont. And I agree. Win, win, win doesn't have to be far back. You can't be far back in the Belmont because even though it's the biggest track, it's the shortest home stretch. So uh, those are just the two names I'll throw out there. And uh, you know, we'll see who else might come into the race that we don't know uh, that's uh, going to come in in the next uh, five weeks and change. And as far as podcast is concerned, uh, the buzz horse around here the smart money horse be a by my standards. His trainer, Brett Calhoun will be on the podcast tomorrow. Zoe Cadman will help us preview it. We had to kind of go from scratch with the Omaha beach situation. And so, uh, that's our guest list for tomorrow. And of course we have the handicappers podcast up already with Vinny Malulo, Patrick McQuigan, Dave Tooley, and Johnny Avello and all that, uh, at, uh, com slash podcast or Apple, Google stitcher or gills toaster.
3: It's called the Ron Flatter. <laughs> By the way, it's called the Ron Flatter Racing Pod, Ron. You should probably start with that, the title of the, the podcast itself. Um,
2: as creative as that is, that yes, is. I should.
3: The always dynamic. All right, last thing then, guys, real quick, because we got to run. Uh, if there's a horse in the derby that you didn't mention at all that is the most likely to torpedo everything you just said, what is that horse? What's the horse
4: you fear, Marco? If maximum security ends up being a, a real horse. Okay. That's, the, that's the horse that... Will hurt me. So that's that's the <laughs> horse you could be cursing.
3: Come uh, come six fifty Eastern, three fifty PM uh, Pacific on Saturday. Uh, same question, Peter. What's the horse that that could just ruin all your hopes?
5: Well, I fear improbable, but I could probably spend very little money to just cover maybe an exacta or something improbable over. Tacitus uh, to try to save the bacon a little bit there but that's one that i'm mildly against who i could easily see turning my day uh, a little sour
2: all right ron same question uh the bluegrass winner of Vacoma uh i didn't respect the race but i could respect the horse if he blows up my ticket
3: <laughs> all right ron flatter from hey. visa peter for natal and uh marco d'angelo marco thank you for being in man i appreciate that no problem thank you all very much Kentucky Derby Roundtable. We'll talk Derby with uh, Falika, Chris Felica, uh from the Bear, or from the, I should say, Stanford Stephen, the Bear podcast, uh, from ESPN.com tomorrow about the
1: uh, 145th rather. run for the Roses. Support for today's podcast, as always, comes from bookmaker.eu, a key cog, the keyest of cogs, if there's such a phrase in my betting arsenal, it should be yours too. They've been an industry leader for close to 30 years. Pro players consider them a must because of the golden trifecta, my phrase, not theirs. They're first to post odds. They take the highest limits and they pride themselves on never having kicked out a winning player. You have no idea how rare a commodity all of those things are, especially the last one. They don't kick people out, period. That should be the main thing. And they'll pay you every time. Bookmaker's a high-volume sports book. Yeah, sophisticated players, recreational players, large ones as well, welcome. Their motto, where the lines originate, results because chances are the sports book at which you've been betting follows their lines. And again, right now, our special offer, if you visit bookmaker.eu slash gill, that's bookmaker.eu slash gill, You can claim an exclusive 100% welcome bonus of up to $300. That's bookmaker.eu slash gill. Join and claim your welcome bonus of up to $300 right now. Bookmaker.eu slash gill. I promise you, you will have no regrets.
2: Now, back to a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander, broadcasting live from our v studios in Las Vegas.
3: It's a numbers game right here at v the Vegas Stats and Information Network, SiriusXM XM channel 204. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to name anyone more associated with a sport than this gentleman right here. He is a Hall of Fame boxing analyst for Showtime television, as well as an author, a stage performer, recording artist, speaker. Renaissance man, and one of the original hosts here at VEASAN. Let us not forget that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a true gentleman. Al Bernstein on the show this morning. Good morning to you, Al. Yo, nice to see you. Nice, nice to talk to you, I mean. Nice to talk to you. Nice to see you. I hope to see you soon. Uh, Al, yeah, exactly. what, what are you keeping your days occupied with these days beyond boxing? I know you're, you're always into something.
6: Well i you know obviously i'm uh, all the showtime fights uh, and uh, i've got a new uh, fight series i'm starting up as well that i'm announcing but uh i'm also doing you mentioned the uh, music i'm going be uh, i'm still doing a lot of music performing and i'm performing on may twenty fifth at the uh, Tuscany hotel and casino um uh, doing my music show, so I do that. It keeps me off the streets, you know. Yeah, keeps you off the
3: streets, Al. That's all. That's all we're concerned about. Like, if we can only keep Bernstein off the streets. This world would be. You a do not place. want me
6: out there. Yeah. You do not want me out there <laughs> causing mayhem or anything like that. That's, that would be terrible.
3: That's right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the singing because most people don't know that you that you do sing, and so because you never mentioned that on the boxing uh, telecast, obviously. Uh, not to my knowledge, you don't anyway. But May 25th at Tustin. No, I try not
6: to.
5: Yeah,
3: yeah,
6: it's fun. I, I do it. You know, I've been doing it since the early 80s when I started doing it at the Caesars Palace before the Hagler-Hearns fight and before, before Hagler-Leonard and those kind of fights. Um, I would do engagements at the Caesars Palace all the time. And then, um, you know, it was fun. And then it morphed into a different show. And then uh, it was like a more of a, a boxing party thing where I'd show clips and everything. And now I'm back to the music, show it's fun. And uh, uh, I enjoyed doing it.
3: Well, you can follow Al, by the way, on Twitter, at Al Bernstein. Um, you mentioned Hagler Leonard, a famous middleweight fight of, of years mm-hmm. gone by. His anniversary just uh, passed a couple weeks back. Um, so this weekend, you got yourself a unification middleweight title. Uh, Canelo Alvarez, 51-1-2 with 35 knockouts. Uh, Obviously, people most famously remember the draw, controversial draw against Triple G and the controversial win against Triple G. Against Daniel Jacobs, who fought Triple G very well a couple years ago himself. Uh, He is 34-2-0, 29 knockouts. Has a bit of a height advantage, has a bit of a reach advantage, I guess I want to start with the judges, Al, which is sad that I want to start there, but I guess I do. If I'm not mistaken, these are the same three judges as for as were the case in the last Triple G-Canelo fight. Is that right?
6: Yeah. Um, they're experienced, spots they're experienced judges, and uh, one hopes that they will do a good job with this. Um, you know, these fights are, um, this is going to be a fight like this. <clears throat> Excuse me, like the like the Triple G fight that I think we're bound to have a lot of close rounds in this fight and we're bound to have uh if it goes a distance, which many people think it will, um the judging could could play a role. And, you know, there's the perception that Canelo has gotten uh has done has gotten uh some couple decisions that maybe he, he couldn't shouldn't have gotten. Um uh, and so and and there's a the perception that he is the golden boy uh, he's- He's, he's promoted by the Golden Boy. Yeah. <laughs> good to know, right? Well, but you, um, but you.
3: But you know, Al. That's what you know. I, I hate to start there, but that's what. We're, if I any inclination I have to bet on Jacobs, and first of all, I think my strategy is I'm just going to wait because the the public loves betting underdogs. so I'm just going to wait for them to bet it and wait for Canelo's price to get muted, and then I think I'm going to bet Canelo at a muted price. That's the strategy anyway for me. But any inclination I have to bet Jacobs I always think about those judges and I do buy into the fact that to beat Canelo here in Las Vegas I don't want to say you got to knock him out but you really got to out uh point him and that's my trouble here thinking about any kind of bet on
6: Jacobs Yeah that's the perception and and there's some there's some the, the, you know and and some of the things that have happened in life back that up uh and so the idea uh, that you could win a decision uh, betting on Danny Jacobs does kind of weigh on your mind. If you're, if you're wagering, that's for sure. Um, Now I do think that Danny Jacobs has the chance in this fight to, uh, to, to, if he, if he uses his height and his reach advantage as well as he can and uh, is able to to keep uh, Canelo at bay, there's a chance he could box well enough to to win those rounds convincingly uh, enough to get the judges. There is a chance that that could happen, but again, you know, yeah. it, it might not be something you want to you want to wager your money on.
3: How do you think it plays out, though? If you if you could picture the script of this fight, what do you what
6: do you believe will happen here? I I think I think it is Daniel Jacobs wants to use his height and reach, um, and Box effectively, but land power punches. Um, he's, he still wants to land with some uh, with some power, and he is a good puncher. He's, he's not a uh, he's not just a boxer. Um, and for Canelo, the question is going to be. It, when he fought uh, Arisandi Lara, who was the ultimate boxer, um, some years ago, he, had, he boxers give him some issues. Um, he doesn't always have the greatest footwork. He isn't always, you know, he, he's not that quick uh, on his feet. And so sometimes boxers give him trouble. The problem is that Arisandi Lara... Uh, box him, but didn't get, again, didn't get the decision. And part of it was Lara's fault because he wasn't aggressive enough, but that's where Daniel Jacobs has quite a conundrum because Canelo will be coming forward in this fight. And can he box effectively enough and still give the impression that he's done enough offensively? Um, I don't. The, the, the interesting thing about this fight, and the big question, is whether either man has the ability to hurt the other man. Canelo has shown an amazing chin. Um, we now realize that, based on the Golovkin fights uh, and other fights that um, that he's had, that that you know Canelo Alvarez can take a punch. Um, so I don't know if, if the question of whether Jacobs hurt him is 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 up, is in the air. Uh, And I don't know if Canelo could knock out Jacobs. So I expect this to go to distance, and I expect it to be a close fight.
3: Talking Al Bernstein, boxing broadcast legend. Uh, Again, no one more associated with this sport uh, than Al is uh, in the sport of boxing. You know, I I look at this, there's a clause here, Al, and you tell me how, I mean, I guess these clauses exist, but you tell me how uh, regular these are. Where they're going to weigh again the morning of the fight at 8 a.m., and for every pound that Jacobs exceeds 170, he will be fined $500,000 a hmm. pound. How how regular is that? How typical is that?
6: Well, every once in a while, those kind of clauses are put into uh, to to fights. Um, I, this one is odd to me because. Uh, it's not that Daniel Jacobs he doesn't have a big history of uh, of of coming in overweight to begin with. Um, it is almost a you know he's more the natural middleweight than Canelo. But since this fight's being fought at middleweight, that, you know that clause is uh, to me is an odd one. Um, but Jacobs doesn't blow up too much in fights. But that, but I think that is a really you know, I, I They often have clauses like that. In this case, that seems odd to me, and it's a further indication that um, with the promotion and the, the zone, the broadcasters, and with everything, um, you know, I think the, the Canelo. Um, uh, the playing field is tilted a little bit its way. <laughs>
3: yeah, just a little bit, yeah. Um, and I guess the question is, and I, and I, there's nobody who loves boxing history more than I do, and I know, obviously, yeah. you're, you're the same way. But let's, let's try to put this in historical perspective. Like, if I'm talking to a generation of, of folks who grew up on some mm-hmm. of the fights you mentioned, the Hagler... Hagler, excuse me, uh, Leonard Hearns won, which still remains my favorite fight of all time. Obviously, yeah, the brutality of of Hagler, Hearns, and then there was uh, uh, Leonard Hagler some years later. But if we think about all of those fights, and I know the later one was middleweight, but the others were Welter. We throw Duran in there. That group of fighters versus a a fight that we're going to see like this on Saturday. Is this amateur hour compared to those guys, in your opinion? Is this comparable? What is this?
6: No, it's it, the, the, that was an era. The and 1980s was was the most special era of boxing it's had, maybe in its whole history. When I was, and I was a young man in my 30s, when I was fortunate enough to be able to announce many of those fights, I, you know, it was a tremendous break for me because I started in broadcast at age 30, and here it was, you know, four or five, three or four years later, I'm announcing some, some of those kind of fights It was staggering. <laughs> But, um, that, and I, I asked people like Gil Clancy and other people that knew eras before me, you know, uh, I said, is this as good as, as it seems to me? And they said, absolutely. It's one of the best decades ever. So, um, that decade stands on its own for that age, for that uh, weight group and everybody, what this is. So it's very hard for any fights to, to match up to those, but this, this is we have the Golovkin uh, Canelo fights were exceptionally well fought. They were very, very good. Uh, and this will be a very good fight. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's tough to compare it to the 80s because that was you know so, on so a, great, yeah. a level all all of its own but this is this should be a very good fight these are very good fighters and uh, uh, and 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 you know i talk about uh, jake's wanting to box and it almost gives the impression he wants to dead in the fight but i don't know that you know i think we're likely to see a lot of action just like we did in the Golovkin canal fights
3: uh and if i if we look beyond this fight into the boxing landscape uh, in your opinion, who is who is the most exciting boxer boxer out there? Is it Errol Spence Jr.? Is that the name that leaps to mind for you?
6: Yeah, Errol Spence is 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 a very exciting fighter because he's he's you know we'd see, we see he just beat Mikey Garcia. He came up in weight to fight him, and one of the things about that fight that was surprising was it, Mikey Garcia is a brilliant fighter, um, but. people thought Errol Spence would win primarily because of his strength and his size, uh, against the fighters coming up in weight. He actually showed astonishing, um, boxing technique and we knew he had it, but he hadn't but he's the kind of fighter that wants to go in and you know, he's, he's looking for knockouts. Um, so he's he's the full package, and and I was slow to come around to Errol Spence. You know, I thought, oh, he's good, you know, but I wasn't labeling him, you know, uh, a superstar. He is he is going to be that, and and we're hoping that he can now get a series of good fights, culminating with a fight with Terence Crawford, um, that would you know would excite the fans. It
3: sure would. All right, so Al, I appreciate it. Listen, so so, do you like my betting strategy here? I'm just going to wait, 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 and then bet Canelo. If you if you're making yeah. a bet, what are you doing?
6: Well, if if I was if I'd been making the bet before, and I don't know, you'd know better than me where 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 um, uh, Jacob started out as an underdog. Um, and I don't know where what are the odds at now
3: minus 450 right now thereabouts on Canelo plus 350 on Daniel uh, Danny Jacobs Daniel Jacobs.
6: Uh, so Jacobs is a plus 350 uh, he, he's getting uh, he's the underdog right He's the underdog uh, that's it, right. Yeah And, and as, as yeah. with
3: every underdog people will bet the underdog pretty much up until fight time.
6: Yeah, they will. I, if I had gotten there earlier when the odds were even better on Jacobs, I would have bet Jacobs um, because I think there would have been value there. Now you're probably in the right spot uh, because you, you can probably get it right when right around fight time. You'll get better odds. And if you believe in Canelo in this fight um, – then it's better to do that, and then you know, and then get the odds because uh, um, <clears throat> he probably deserves to be a little bit more of a favorite than you, he'll go off at. Yeah,
3: there's so you know, box-
6: and, and and far be it from me to tell you about betting uh, on a sporting event.
3: <laughs> no, but but you know, I mean, this is one of these things. That, listen, when it's boxing, Alan, you know this, and I, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not breaking any news here. Betting on boxing has this, you know, the thing that's always the voice in the back of your head, which is like, this this could, anything could happen here with these judges. Right. So, and so my thing, yeah, Yeah.
6: Yeah. that's true. And it makes it different than other sports. In other sports, crazy things can happen that can lose you a a bet um, a, a crazy turn of the ball, you know, some weird call, who knows what else, but in boxing, you, you know, it's one of the few sports that, when it goes a distance, you're still not—you don't know who won, right? Yeah. You can't tell. Yeah. So, of course, that's a—that's a—that's a, something that you've got to factor into uh, what you do, unfortunately. And you know, when you get these matches that are close calls, um, you know, you sweat those out. Yeah,
3: Al Bernstein, uh, the legend that is Al Bernstein, again singing at the Tuscany. What's the date on that?
6: Uh, May 25th. I'll be there from 7.30 to 11.30. We'll come out and have some fun. We'll, and I'm going to be giving some of my books away. and uh, We'll have a good time.
3: All right, Al. Thank you so much for uh, waking up this morning. Yeah, I appreciate
6: uh, it. Uh, very nice to chat with you. You do a great job and uh, continue success. Thank you, sir.